This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Today we're going to be talking about cycled and recycled. The Apostle Paul, we're picking up where we left off two weeks ago, has just come back to life from a stoning. In modern-day America, he probably would have gone right into town, found a lawyer, and filed for some sort of disability compensation, you know. Uh, But stoning was a bloody, crushing means of execution that the Jewish people used. It came from their law. And yet, miraculously, Paul had either survived it or... Uh, or he rose from the dead. We're not sure which, but either way, um, it was a miracle here that happened. God gave him the physical and mental power to stand from being stoned and dragged outside the city and left there. And he stood, and he was determined to go right back into the city where they had done this to him. By the way, this isn't in your notes, but I think it's worth saying. You ever hear somebody say that following Jesus, being a Christian, that's just for sissies? Tell them about Paul, all right? This was a real hard guy, all right? This was a man's man, obviously, by what he went through. He and Barnabas spent the next night there in Lystra, and the next morning, the next day, they left to go to Derby. Now, you don't, you don't know unless you look these things up, where is Lystra in comparison to Derby, I found a neat place, by the way. Put, put this, this website down in your notes. It's a great place to go as you're reading the Bible and you want a little bit of background, geographical, and that kind of, th- that kind of thing. There's a website that I found the other day called BiblePlaces.com. BiblePlaces, all together, BiblePlaces.com. And I looked on BiblePlaces.com, and it told me that Lystra and Derby are 60 miles apart. Now, if you're walking 60 miles and that's how they traveled, it's probably at least a four-day trip, all right? If you may average 15 miles a day, that would take you four days, and you've just been stoned within an inch of your life, or maybe it took your life. You're battered and bruised and broken and bleeding, and you're going to take this 60 minutes. It's kind of like for us here at Nags Head, to picture in our minds, if I said, hey, let's all, after church, let's all ride, excuse me, let's all go to Elizabeth City for lunch. But leave your cars here. We're going to walk. How many of you would say, say, yeah, what do you mean, lunch tomorrow? What are you talking about? 60 miles is a pretty good ways. They traveled there to Derby. Derby, the city of Derby, is their last stop in their mission of going, this first trip, these missionaries, of going into the world. After Derby, they're going to start, as we'll see as we read the Scripture, they'll start backtracking. They'll go back to Lystra and then back to Antioch and Iconium and all the cities they've been to. They're going to backtrack and end up back home in the town where they originally started from, Antioch in Syria. But there's purpose to their travel. There's a reason they're going to backtrack like that. It's not the only way to go, but there's a purpose for that as they cycle back through these towns. And as they did, we're going to see a a cycle is the term I'm using today, a cycle of discipleship set in motion that I believe is, is really true and solid and scriptural and helps us understand where God wants us to go. So today as we, as we go through this, I'm going to ask all of us to ask ourselves this question. Where am I in this cycle? You've got it there in your notes. Where am I? Where do I fit? Where, where, where is my progress if it's there? Am I moving along? Am I, gonna, am, am I, 
stuck in one spot? Have I even gotten started? So it's all going to be there for us today. Before we leave, I want to ask you to pinpoint where you are, but also to make the determination today. I hope many of you will. I'm bound and determined not to get stuck. I'm going to keep cycling and recycling and going over what God's got for me. This brief section of Acts also points out to the church that we have as a church a cycle, not only in sharing the gospel and leading men and women to faith in Christ, but to shepherd us through this cycle so that we as a church can look at it and this morning and evaluate you know, what the total package that we, that we have here in Nags Head Church. Are we getting it right? Are we just going through the motions? Are we just going through the rituals and following traditions that mean very little, if anything, to changing us into being like Christ? So as we read through these verses, follow along with me, and then I want you to show how this, this works in my life and yours and how it continues, how it looks for us as a church. So, Tricia, if you will, hold that next slide off until after I read the Scripture, okay? Yeah, thanks, because that's, that's kind of the condensed form. I want you to see in your Bible the whole form, all of the verses. Follow along with me, verse 20. The next day, he, Paul, left with Barnabas for Derby, And after they had evangelized that town, evangelized means they shared the gospel. After they had evangelized that town and made many disciples, and we'll talk about that, what does that mean? They returned to Lystra. They went back to where they had been, to Iconium, to Antioch, doing what? Strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith. Don't quit. And by telling them, this is so important, it is necessary. Now, if you're like me, I, I circle things in my Bible. I underline things. I have colored pencils, and I highlight those things. If you want to circle a word in this text today in your Bible, I would circle that word necessary. Because necessary means, you know, if you feel like it, this is, this is something that you might want to do, right? Necessary means here's a good option for you if you want to make this happen. That's what necessary means, right? If, if you, if you kind of, if you got nowhere else to go, try this. That's what necessary means, right? Wrong. Necessary means this is what must happen. This is essential. You cannot move on without understanding this. It is necessary, they told these disciples, to pass through many troubles on our way to the kingdom of God. Guess what? Your best life isn't now. Somebody told you that? This tells me that's not true. We must pass through many troubles on our way to the kingdom of God. Miko, you and your family are going through one of those. Mark's going through one of those right now. Many troubles on our way to the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders in every church, verse 23, and prayed with fasting, that's what they did before they left, by the way, remember? They committed them to the Lord, these disciples, in whom these the folks in these churches, in whom they had, in whom they had believed. And then they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia, and after they spoke the message in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. Completed, they're done, they're done this time. But we're going to see in the future there's another cycle going. They're going to take another trip. It doesn't stop here, but yet they completed this one. After they arrived and gathered in Antioch, their home church, they gathered the church together and they reported everything God had done with them. 
I love it when we have missionaries, by the way, come and our missionaries come and spend time with us, and we get them up here, and we talk, and we say that, you know, and they'll say stuff like, thank you, Nagshead Church, for praying for us. Thank you, Nagshead Church, for supporting us and allowing us to be on the mission field. Let us tell you what God has done. I'm looking forward to hearing from our team in India when they get back about what God, that's what's happening here, reporting back to the church everything God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a considerable time with the disciples. They evangelized. Now, Trisha, you can put that, that up there. They evangelized. They made disciples. They strengthened those disciples. They organized those disciples into local churches, fellowships of believers. They put elders in charge of leading those churches. And then once back home, they reported all that had happened on their mission to the church that had sent them. There's a cycle there. I'll put some circles on your notes so that you can see that. What does that cycle look like in my own life? Look at this first graphic with me. Follow it. Starts at the top with evangelism. How does my life, where where does evangelism fit in my life? Well, evangelism happened in my life. Somewhere in your life as well, I trust, I hope. Evangelism started when somebody shared the good news, the gospel of Christ with me. For me, I was a 10-year-old boy when I first really heard the gospel. I knew about God, I knew about Jesus, but nobody had ever said, and this is why Jesus died. This is the life he lived, this is why he died, and this is why he resurrected. So you, Ricky, that's who I was when I was 10, so that you could have everlasting life. And I heard it, and I understood it, and I believed. I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. When did that happen for you? You know, nobody starts out as a Christian. I hear people say, oh, I've been a Christian my whole life. No, you haven't. You've been a sinner your whole life who needs a Savior, but nobody's been a Christian their whole life. Yeah, but my parents, when I was a little baby, my parents, when I was a little baby, did that with me as well. I, I, I tell people that I only believe two things when my parents took me to church when I was a baby. I believed I was hungry And I believed I needed my diaper change. That was the totality of my faith as a little baby. I knew nothing of God, nothing of Jesus Christ, even though they gave me a Christian name that did not make me a Christian. I did not become a Christian until I realized I was a sinner who needed a Savior, and only Jesus was qualified to do that, and I received him as my Savior, put my faith and trust in him. No one of us here today who has believed in Christ did so until somebody told you the gospel. That's evangelism. But it doesn't stop with evangelism. It moves on to making disciples. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want us to stop with with belief. There's more to what he has in store for us than that. He wants us to become disciples. The word disciple means learner. And Jesus said in that passage in Matthew 28, verse 19, that it appears that discipleship really kicks off when I obey his command to be baptized as a believer. That starts me on the road to being a learner, to being a disciple. It's when I publicly proclaim to the world for the first time that I'm in Christ. And it paints a picture, the baptism does, of the gospel of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection as we go under the water and we're brought out of it. But being a disciple, does not that's not the end of everything either. Being a disciple is another step in a lifelong journey of discovering life in Christ. There's more to the cycle. 
And God wants us who are following him to consistently mature. They strengthened, it says, the disciples in these cities. Always moving forward, being strengthened as a disciple. Let me ask a question. How many of us want to every day just constantly stumble and fail in God's eyes as a believer? We never want to reach the mark. We never want to have any successes. Every time a temptation comes along, I want to fall to that temptation and I want to sin. I never want to read my Bible. I never want to pray. I don't care about church. I don't care about serving. Is that the kind of Christian anybody wants to be at all? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Of course not. Because we none of us wants to be a weak Christian. We all want to be strong, don't we? I mean, everybody would say, yeah, that's what I want. Well, how does that happen? It doesn't happen by accident. Strengthening doesn't happen, uh, you know, because we take a pill or something or drink a milkshake. Strengthening happens when, when we are we're doing some things. Now, what are some signs, by the way, that I might need strengthening? What, <laughs> I'm just going to give you some things I've heard from people. All right, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to, to pick on any one person here today, but maybe you've said this, perhaps you have never said this. But I've heard these things from folks, and this are some signs I might need strengthening. Oh, well, you know, uh, where were you last? How come you weren't in church? Well, one of us had a cold, so we all stayed home. Really? You all stayed home. On pretty Sunday mornings, you know, can you imagine if yesterday was today? Wasn't yesterday a beautiful day? On pretty Sunday mornings, you know, it's really hard to get up and look outside and see everything that's out there, and we kind of ask ourselves, do we really want to go to church today? Wouldn't you rather go to the beach? You might need strengthening if you say, well, you know, we have out-of-town guests, and we decided to do something with them other than church. You might need strengthening. We got in late last night, and we needed to let the kids sleep in. Hey, you know what? One of the great things about Nags Head Church is we have two worship gatherings. So you can let the kids sleep in and still come to church at 11. Isn't that amazing? So, but I've heard people say that. I've never heard anybody say it, and, and, and I, didn't, I, I didn't include this in my notes. Because so now somebody will think I'm picking on them. I'm not picking on anybody in, in, in particular. I wasn't here last week. But you know what? It was the St. Patrick's Day parade last Sunday, and we just said, boy, if we go to church and go to the parade, that's just a little bit too much stuff happening all day, so prayed one out. You might need strengthening if that be the case. You might need strengthening if you, if you ever said, you know what? I'm not on the schedule on my ministry team to serve today. This is not my Sunday. So you know what? Nobody's going to miss me if I'm not there. You might need strengthening. Now, I don't know about you, but I need to be strengthened as a disciple. I need to be strengthened in my walk with Jesus Christ. And you might say to that list of things that I just said, well, you know, Rick, those are all, all revolve around Sunday stuff. There's a whole lot more than Sunday, isn't there? Yeah, but why did I include Sunday things? And here, let me, this is in your notes. It's because Sunday involvement is one legitimate barometer of where you are, where I am in following the Lord. Really? Yeah, you remember in Acts chapter 2, we were there last fall. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, 42, it says, and one thing they did in that first church was they were devoted to gathering together. They were devoted to the, to the uh, disciples' teaching. They were devoted to meeting together. And then later on in that first century, the Hebrew Christians, it's interesting what, what's written there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Look at what it says. Let us not 
neglect our meeting together. Get this, what's the next little thing said? As some people do. Already in the first century, there were those that say, ah, you know, church today, let's flip a coin. The Bible says, let us not forsake our meeting together as some people do. And I know what you're saying. Gee whiz, Rick, why are you saying this to me? Because I'm here. But let us encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. That was 2,000 years ago that that was said. His return is drawing near 2,000 years ago. Now let me ask you a question. You guys are smart. I can look at you and tell, highly intelligent right now. If 2,000 years ago the return of Christ was drawing near, it would seem to me it's nearer today than it was then, right? So if I need to gather together to be encouraged because it was drawing near 2,000 years ago, I really need to be gathered together often to be encouraged because it's that much closer today. God wants us to be involved and wants us to be a part, and that's a part of being strengthened, being strengthened. And here's, here's what we, you know, I'm so glad our Hukilau team is in India because that's a place where it's not easy to be a Christian. And our guys are seeing that firsthand. They're going to come back different than they were when they left, and they're going to come back sharing some of what they've learned. But listen, in places on earth, there are places, many places on this earth, where there is no such thing as the luxury of being a casual Christian. No such thing. I've been to places where people walk miles, walk miles to be in their church on Sunday. I mean, they get up at the crack of dawn and they're out the door and they walk three hours to get to where they need to go. That, 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 that might discourage me. How about you? Because we're, you know, three hours. Some people don't want to drive 15 minutes. There are people that, that are believers today in places in this world where they are willing to be and have been disowned by their own families because they've trusted Christ. There are places in this world where they are willing to die and are dying. Did you see some things on the news here recently about some people in Egypt? I think it was Egypt or or one of those countries in Africa, those Arab countries where they took them out, the Christians out, and killed them on the beach. Did you see the story last week where the little two little girls in one of the Muslim countries were forced, listen to me, they're Christians, they were forced, these little girls were forced to watch their mother be beheaded for her faith. And yet we say, gee whiz, it's a pretty day today. Do I want to go or do I not? You see, in those places in the earth, you're either in it all the way or you're not in it at all. I don't think there's any doubt Paul and Barnabas and these first-generation Christians were in it all the way. That is the kind of disciple God wants you and me to be. But without strengthening, we're more apt to crumble and find excuses why we just don't take those next steps to surrender. How are we strengthened in the church? How does the church strengthen you and me in our walk with the Lord as disciples? And remember, when I say church, I don't mean a building. I mean us. Let me give you several things how we're strengthened. We're strengthened when we're taught together. We're taught. That's what they did in the early church. They were taught a teacher with a Bible in his hand. When we sing and we serve and we pray together in worship, we're, 
we're strengthened. Did you know the Bible tells us that when we sing, like we did this morning, when you and I sing, we are teaching one another as we sing? That strengthens us. When we go through dark valleys together, go through, you know, I know, I know of Christians who, when life throws them a curveball, and life will throw all of us curveballs, life will punch us in the gut from time to time. When we go through dark valleys together, I know some Christians who they do the exact opposite of what they ought to do, and life throws them a curveball, relationships have broken up, you know, jobs have been lost, whatever it might be, sickness, and they drop out of church. Where have you been? I'm just so embarrassed about what's happened. My goodness, we're here to strengthen one another, strengthen you. Don't drop out. That's the last thing to do. We're strengthened when we celebrate the ordinances of communion and baptism together. That strengthens our faith when we do that together. When we gather together in small groups, we call them connection groups. We're prayer and fellowship, sharing what God is doing in our lives daily through the Holy Spirit. I had a fellow who was in the last gathering. He's not a part of our church. He's a guest from out of town. He's here pretty frequently. He came up to me afterwards with tears in his eyes. And he said, Rick, he said, getting into a small group at my church has been the best thing that ever happened to me, to strengthen me. We're strengthened when a mature brother or sister mentors me. The best way to learn, frankly, is by following an example. And that example ought to be someone who is learning to and is just a step or two ahead of me. Last week, Buddy Newell posted a picture um, on Facebook of when he was, I think he was 15. Can we see that? Buddy thought back in those days, and that's 15 years ago, Buddy thought he was such a stud muffin. And, uh, and he even put that on Facebook. He said, this is me when I was a kid with my spaghetti arms. Now, Buddy, Buddy's a bodybuilder now. Buddy's got arms that are like, like this, you know. And uh, a lot of muscle, a lot of build up there. And uh, Buddy posted that, by the way, let me just say, this is, this is, be careful what kind of pictures you put on Facebook because you never know when Pastor Rick is going to grab it and put it up on the screen on Sunday morning. Right? Buddy didn't know I was going to do that. Be careful what you put up there. And Buddy, you know, he, he's, he said, I have my spaghetti arms. Buddy doesn't have noodle arms anymore. Buddy's been strengthened. But that doesn't come without preparation. To do that, he had to work out with weights, and that's painful to do that. I had a friend who's a weightlifter, and he's got big old everything, and he said, he said, listen, he said, he said I, I just heard when I was young, got into this, that until it starts burning, your muscles start burning, you're not doing anything. Until it really hurts, you're not building up anything. It takes, it takes preparation. Look at the last, at that end of verse 22 again, which starts with, it's necessary to pass through many troubles on our way to the kingdom of God. I love it that Paul and Barnabas did not candy coat what was ahead for these believers. Get ready, they told them. Be prepared because you're going to go through some hard, difficult times. Strengthening starts with the right preparation. It isn't going to be an easy life. But they weren't alone. They weren't on their own. The missionaries did the best thing they could have ever done for them. They organized them into local churches, 
telling us that we need to be a part of a local church. Why? Several reasons why you ought to be part of a local church. One is for fellowship. I need to have fellowship with other believers. None of us are called to be alone, be on our own. I need fellowship. We need leadership. We need folks who are walking ahead of us and living the life and being the example for us to see and for us to say, if he can do it, if she can do it, God help me as well. Do the same. We need leadership. We need accountability for how we live our lives. We need someone who's able to say, hey, come, come back. You're, you're going somewhere where you probably shouldn't be. We need accountability. We need teaching. You're getting that this morning. You get that in your connection group as you study together and open up the Word of God. We need structure in our lives. You know, it'd be, it would be really confusing if, you know, we did not say, at Nagset Church, we worship at 9 and 11. It, w- it would be confusing to me if we said, hey, at Nagset Church, we worship just kind of whenever everybody feels like coming together. Because if that would be the case, when would you know to come together? And you would say, I wouldn't. And so we have structure that says we meet here and we meet then. And we, and we have teams that do ministry and, and all. we need structure. I need structure in my life. Are, are you like me? Some of you are, are getting more mature in years, and you find out that if you have something in your life that interrupts your daily routine, it really messes everything up. I mean, like the rest of your day goes wrong, and you don't, can't remember if it's Tuesday or Thursday, and I, I'm, I'm finding that happen more often with me. I need structure in my life. We need protection against false teaching. The elders in Crete were told by Paul, you protect your flock. The elders in Ephesus were told by Paul, protect the flock. We need protection. And there are those people, and, and I know some, I, I've talked to them, who say, well, you know, I don't believe in the organized church, the organized church. You ever hear that? And I, my response to them is, hey, why don't you read the Bible? Because you got it here. These church, they were, and, and after the book of Acts, what follows the book of Acts? A bunch of letters to churches. Yeah. To the elders, and, 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 and Paul would go on, and, and the folks in the church, this and that and the other, there was organization, there was structure. They gave an account to their church, Paul and Barnabas did, when they finally arrived back in Antioch of Syria. These people who had prayed for them, perhaps financially helped them, and they sent them out. Paul and Barnabas were not, here's what I want us to know, they were not mavericks out there doing their own thing. They were part of a church, and they were accountable to it for what they did. So they wound up their first missionary journey back where they started, giving a report. Accountability is all through the concept of being a Christian. Again, never are we told it's okay to be on our own. Why? Because on your own is a dangerous place to be. We need each other. It can also be an arrogant place to be. We need one another. And that's a humbling thing to say. I need somebody else's help, but I do. So do you. We need to allow others to take a look at our lives and, and help us become strong where, we, where we're weak. But the, the cycle didn't stop with that first one. It, it continues with a second cycle, if you will. Look at how it does that. Look at, look at the second cycle up there. There it is. All right. First, we're all called, let me say that again. 
slowly. First, we are all called to share the gospel. All of us are called to share the gospel. That means everybody in this room is called to be an evangelist if you're a Christian. All right? You're all called to do that, to share the gospel with others, telling about the love and the salvation that God has for them. Parents, you're called to evangelize your children. That's one of your primary responsibilities as a mom or dad. Evangelize your children. Students, you're called to evangelize your school. And when we do, when we start to evangelize, we move to that second step in the cycle, and that is we get to bring others to the Lord. There's nothing more exciting than leading someone else to faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing. And then seeing them become disciples. Some of you who are in this room have had the privilege of baptizing your friends that you've led to the Lord, your children that you've led to the Lord. I think that's really neat what we do as a church. We let those who have led their friends and so forth to the Lord, you get to baptize them. I just love that. Because it involves me, it involves you in their lives even further. Nothing more exciting than being involved in leading someone and seeing them become a learner, become a disciple, but it doesn't stop there. We're all called to invest our lives in other believers. Whether you call that mentoring or disciple-making, it doesn't matter what you call it. What matters is that those of us who are maturing are helping someone younger in the faith to mature, and it's an investment. It takes relationship building. It takes time. It takes prayer. It takes digging into the Word because... You're going to find that that person that you're mentoring, that you're discipling, that you're, who is, you're helping come along in the faith, they're going to one day ask you some tough questions. Well, yeah, but I read this in the Bible. What does that mean? And guess what? You can't come running to me every time to get the answer. We did that last fall, and we were reading through the New Testament, and I, and I could count on a couple groups connection groups that met on Monday or Tuesday night, whatever, I could count that I was going to get a text from a group, Rick, what does this mean? And I ignored them. In other words, I said, figure it out. You got a Bible. You got the Holy Spirit living in you. Figure it out. You can do this. So that's an investment as well. And in this cycle comes the point, and for some it actually comes earlier than this, where we're all called to find our places in the church you realize suddenly it comes to you. The day dawns when you, all, you realize God has saved me and his purpose for saving me and leaving me on this earth is so that I can serve others, so that I can be Christ's hands and feet as I serve other people. And you find that niche in the church, that place where he can use the gifts he's given you to build up his church. And suddenly for you in your life, this is an exciting time. When this light goes on in your heart and your mind, when the light goes on and Sundays become a time of giving back and loving others. You no longer go to church or to your connection group to get what you'll get out of it as much as you go for what God might use me today to give to others, to serve other people. And let me say to you, that is a huge step of maturing. That is a big moment in your life as a disciple. When you get to that point, you hit that stride, and ministry becomes your joy, changes everything. 
Well, that's my life, two cycles in my life. But I have a third cycle in your notes, and that's the cycle that says, what are we supposed to be doing as a church? What is our responsibility together as Christ's body in this cycle? Quickly look at the third cycle. Every step begins with the word. We'll try that together. Every step begins with the word. Together. There you go. Together. Together we're reaching out. Together we're following through and making disciples. Together as a church, we're finding an environment creating an environment where Christians can grow together. Our family ties, speaking of our church family, our family ties are strong. All this we do together as a church. We're reaching out. Now, we do things together to share the gospel here as a church. We do them throughout the year. We've got something coming up that I want to spend a few minutes with you on, and then we'll finish up this morning. But when we begin together reaching out, it becomes a contagious thing. Here's how you can be part of something that we're hoping and praying will be a huge day of sharing the gospel and seeing people come to know Christ as Savior. We're calling it the 24-7 Easter prayer. And here's what we can do. You've got your card there that's on your seat. Pull that out for a moment. Whether you're a part of this church or not, I want you to do this, Okay. For the 24 days prior to Easter, that starts this Friday, March 28th, you and I will each commit to praying for seven of our unchurched friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, teachers, anybody. And we're going to be praying for them to accept an invitation that we're going to give to them to join us here on Easter Sunday. You know, unless someone's an atheist, and don't discount those folks as well, a lot of people in this country still feel like they ought to go to church somewhere on Easter. They just don't necessarily know where to go if they're not already connected with the church. They don't have a church, and that's what unchurched means. They might not know where to go, but you've been praying for them every day, and Sometime in that previous week or two before Easter, you're going to invite them. You're going to say something to them like, hey, uh, Easter's coming, and I would be honored. I would love for you to come go to church with me on Easter Sunday. I'd love for you to be my guest. Probably not all seven, but somebody, chances are, because you've been praying for them, somebody's going to say, yeah, I'd like to do that. You could tell them a little bit about our church. Our church is really weird. It's different. You know, isn't like probably what you've experienced in other places. And can you imagine if they responded? Can you imagine if on, here on Easter Sunday they heard the greatest life-changing message ever, the gospel of Jesus? Can you imagine if that day, or maybe soon after, they, after having maybe a conversation with you, they turned by faith to believe in Jesus and had everlasting life? Could you imagine? And I would say to you, it can happen. God will use you if you'll let him use you to bring someone to Christ this Easter. So here's what you need to do. I'm going to ask you to do four things between now and this Friday. First of all, take out the card and list seven names. You don't have to do the seven names right now. But some of you right now are thinking, I already know who I want to enlist, who's at the top of my list. Put that person's name down right now. Grab a pen and write that name or those two names that you already have in your mind. Get started right now with it. Now, you say, well, I'm not here. I'm just a guest. I'm from out of town. Do this and take it home and do it for Pete's sake. Take it home and show your pastor. Pastor, I'm going to do everything I can to get some folks here at church on Easter Sunday. He'll love you. 
You'll think you're the greatest thing in the whole world. Put that list on there between now and Friday of people that you're going to pray for and invite. Then keep the list where you will see it every single day. Maybe on the dashboard of your car, maybe on the mirror where you, you, know, you brush your teeth and get ready for the day. Um, uh, for, for too many of us on the refrigerator door, but find some, some place where you will see that list every single day and be reminded to pray for these seven people every day. And then on the 6th of April, two weeks from today, we're going to have for you some invitation cards that we're having done up. They'll be really nice. Hand them out to folks on the back of it. You can put your name, say, thanks for, thanks for um, thinking about coming with me to church, but hand them out. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know could come up with seven names of people that you could invite, unchurched people that you could? Raise your hand. Now, let me say, if you don't raise your hand, you need to get out of the house more. All right? You need to develop some friendships. How many of you do Facebook? Raise your hand. Some of you got 8,000 friends on Facebook. Right? So don't tell me you can't find seven folks that you'll invite. Invite them. You'll pray daily, you'll get the invitation cards and give them out, and number four, you will expect God to do great things. It could be an amazing day. We have a lot of folks in this church whose lives are now changed by Christ because somebody invited them and they came for the first time on Easter Sunday. You put all of us together who are here now and here in the early early gathering, the 9 o'clock gathering, and we're talking about praying for and inviting over 1,000 people. Some of them will come. You stop and think about the potential that will be here on Easter to see scores of people, maybe for the first time, hear the gospel. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.